Hard first, easy later. Greenfield. So let's talk about Greenfield development, and we can begin that with defining it as, at least the way that I look at it, is uh, any any project that, and I'll use mobile apps as, as an example, because that's most of, probably 99% of the development that I've done in the last couple of years is mobile app development. Uh, I try not to touch servers and things like that if I don't have to. Just because I, I, I don't specialize in that, even though I feel comfortable with especially going into like a node app or something like that, it's still not, uh, it's it's not necessarily something I enjoy or jump to first. So mobile app, we'll stick to that as, as an example. Uh, an example of a greenfield project for mobile app would be uh, if you get a project and there's either never been anything before that like let's say a client approaches me says hey I want you to build this app for me uh, and I say okay well what do you have currently and they let's say for instance it's a uh, tanning salon and I ask them well do you already have an app for your tanning salon and they say yes and I say okay so do you want me to change the current one or do you want me to start from scratch with similar features? You know, what what do we want to do here? And they say, well, we don't care. You know, obviously we still want the same users to be able to log in, but we don't really care what you do other than that. You just, you know, make sure that the app works. You can build it on any platform with any code you want as long as it can run on Android and run on iOS. Uh, that is what you would call Greenfield. Um, now, it depends on how you define that because... I guess you somewhere you have to draw a line and say, okay, after you pass this point of constraints, then it's no longer greenfield and it's what's called brownfield. And brownfield is when you have kind of a previous architecture or a previous set of patterns that you're carrying over. Uh, so maybe you have like a legacy code base that they want to use pieces of or or maybe the big picture of. Um so there is, there is a, a pretty big difference between Greenfield and Brownfield. And the I think there's a disconnect as far as the translation <laughs> because sometimes I hear Greenfield and what it's in practice is actually Brownfield. And I think it's important that when you hear that, uh, you need to kind of track that down and not take it at face value and make sure that that's... You know that that all parties involved know going in. Hey, uh, this does have some constraints, or this does have major constraints, or whatever the case may be. So, and you'll definitely always have constraints, or you should, anyways, uh, if you do like your pre-planning or whatever uh, before you do the project. Um, but this is more about, I guess, legacy constraints, if that makes sense. So, if you're doing pre-planning on a new project. Those aren't really considered constraints. Constraints would be more of you have a previous architecture or app in place and you want to carry something over and you want to carry it over in a specific way. Um, so it would be slightly different than maybe, in, in at least in my opinion, if somebody asks me to uh, allow the login system to work with the same users, I'm not going to consider that uh, any kind of an architecture carryover. Now, if they tell me that... I must, uh, uh, what do you, what is it? I must support their token system that they have. 
uh, and the same encryption and everything else, then we're getting into some some patterns. Now, now that's not really. I say that, but but it's maybe not completely true. <laughs> Just because if it's like a standard, maybe it's like SHA five twelve or you know, 256 or something like that, then it, it's not really that big a deal. But if it gets like really, really complicated, I've seen some really complicated token systems and especially some where it's, it's hard to ensure that you're going to match up, you know, on both sides. Uh, and I say that because sometimes some servers handle bytes slightly different than mobile and different, uh, different mobile frameworks and languages and, everything it all comes into play so yeah stuff like that then you're getting closer to like brownfield the more the more customized you're bringing over from any kind of legacy system and that means and that example could cross languages is, is basically what i'm meaning so if you're if you're being communicated in a constraint that is crossing languages it can still be a constraint so if they're basically saying, here's, an, here's a way that we did this in our legacy code system, we want you to do it the same way in the new code system. That's a, that's a constraint. That's, now you're creeping on to, to Brownfield. So, and, and I, think, I think when you feel like you're getting to that point where, you, where it is Brownfield, you kind of have to draw a line and say, okay, well, if we, pra if we pass this, then that's where we're at. And the reason I say that is because it is very, uh, it's just an optics thing. I mean, for me, I think a lot of people get more excited about Greenfield just because they feel, at least for me, I feel excited to leave an imprint, kind of, you know, do something cool on that project uh, because, because I can kind of have the freedom to do some, you know, a little bit more creative stuff. And and maybe, you know, use the libraries that I like or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just so many different things. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I think more enjoyable anyways for me. Um, but I think it's important that if you are on a project that's being called Greenfield, but it's not, I think it's important that you are approaching it very differently. And the reason I say that is because you have to think a little bit deeper about the intent behind the project because my experience, especially with, with brownfield projects, if you're being told uh, these are the only constraints we have, most likely <laughs> that's not true. And it's not their fault. It's just that when you're carrying over legacy code and you've already identified several key things that you want to bring over as far as patterns, code, whatever, then you've already, you know, you've already shown a pattern that maybe the previous app worked in some small way, or there was something good about it that you want to carry over. And it's really important at the beginning, not in the middle, because this is usually when it happens is in the middle, but at the beginning is that you dig deep with the stakeholders and you go over these and you make sure that you're not missing anything because a lot of times I'd say almost every time <laughs> is they will pick one or two things they want to carry over. And then halfway through the project, they say, Oh yeah, we also want to carry this over because it was an oversight. They just didn't think, or maybe they assumed it was going to be carried over or, or they assumed that you were going to do it the same way that they did it before. 
there's a thousand different cases. So it's really important, I think, to go through the app, the previous app, and to, you know, walk through with the stakeholders and say, okay, this is what we are bringing over that we're being told to bring over. This is, this is, you know, everything else we're not even going to look at. And, and you kind of have to almost give them like an anti-pitch on the project and all the features coming from the legacy side. So that way, if they want something, they're going to have to fight for it because you're basically going to shut everything down. That's not on their list already. And so if, if you make them think they're not going to get anything, if they don't ask for it, then you're going to start to hear a little bit more feedback. So you really have to create that atmosphere that, Hey, if you don't talk right now, you're not going to get this. That button's not going to be there. The, the same flow, the same user journeys are just not going to be a thing anymore or whatever the case is for, for that scenario. Um, but if you do do it and you do it, I think loudly enough, then when you go through the project, you're not going to have that middle hump to get over because I've been through that so much where you get that middle hump in the middle of the project timeline where people are starting to get, you know, a little bit, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but where they're, they're starting to rethink things they're They've gotten a little bit of early feedback. They're looking at things and their, their assumptions didn't pan out the same way they wanted or or their, their mood has changed, or whatever the case may be, they're having second thoughts, and they're almost always going to come back with, hey, we had this thing in the old app, can we bring that over? And <laughs> more often than not, that simple thing that they think they could bring over whenever they want, because you didn't know you were bringing it over, you maybe didn't have a pattern set up that would easily scale with whatever pattern is or, or handle importing that. And if you'd known that beforehand, that it might be added sometime, you would kind of leave that door open when you're coding. But because you didn't and you didn't know that and, and you guys hadn't communicated about that, you're getting set back on your timeline a little bit with that. So, so I think that's important. Now, as far as Greenfield stuff, I want to talk about the speed of your project and how development should move. Now, I know a lot of people have different approaches with things and I think it's ever changing for everybody, but I think the most important thing is to not stop. Okay. So when people, I see this a lot where they'll get stuck on something where they can't solve a pattern or they can't, they can't fit that, you know, that square peg in that round hole or whatever, where they, they have a pre you know, uh, what is it? Uh, an assumption, uh, uh, whatever. And they thought they were going to do it a specific way, which, which is kind of a good thing. You should always have these theories or a thesis or whatever that you, you know, a thesis that you, that you're working towards and you think it's going to work out. And immediately when it doesn't work out or it looks like it won't work out, you pivot to another one. Um, I think that's kind of how you have to move. Now, I have seen, for me at least, uh, the projects that I've done where uh, where I've moved the fastest and, and kind of done like the most exciting things is when you are willing to, and it's okay with the rest of your team as far as breaking things, as far as uh, going in, in weird or seemingly weird directions. 
and 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 that's the thing though is that it's it's important because it's a balancing act between you and your reports because you need them to keep you in line your product owners your your BAs your your managers your your directors whoever your direct reports are because as engineers we will do whatever we want to do whatever seems fun or whatever interests us we're going to start doing that if we want to build some cool feature or play with something we're going to do it and that's why you want a little bit of freedom to be able to choose kind of how you get somewhere but you still want somebody to tell you hey we need to get here here's our point b (laughs) you know because if you don't have some direction then you'll end up going every direction and you you definitely want to try to give yourself direction but it is a team effort and so the reason i bring that up is because i think the what is it the the plan everything test everything uh you know chaos engineering whatever that people do in uh monolithic um microservices everything like legacy code like all the different patterns there is it's all in there any mature code base is going to have these patterns in place where you know if you you've got these people that are you know we've got 99.97 uh you know test coverage and unit tests and end to end tests and all this stuff and you know our code is strong and then, <laughs> and then uh it doesn't scale you know like like to just to add a button could take a week okay with these projects it doesn't matter how lean you are they're all the same i've seen them all they all have the same thing and and there's almost no way around it uh, because once you know a code base gets mature y- there's an encouragement to document everything and to test everything but you have to remember that the way you write your tests and your documentation is also going to determine your scale and the speed you can scale at. So whenever you do something early stages, you always want to think, how can I do this as kind of thin as possible? And then how quickly can I do this with the thought that what if this whole pattern gets thrown out? What if I document this whole pattern and I test it and I write tests for it and everything else? And then it doesn't even exist tomorrow because tomorrow we decide we don't even need it in there. So how can I make sure that 90 or 80% of my development time or 80 to 90% of my time is spent developing the feature or the functionality and then the other 10 to 20% is on testing and planning and documentation and everything else? Because if you cross the 20% mark, Uh, even to 25%, even if you're doing one fourth, you're doing too much when it comes to testing and everything else. Okay. That's too much time. Now, the other thing about that, I think is (laughs) I've heard some people where they say, you know, test driven development, blah, blah, and all this shit. I use a mixture. Okay. So if I have a clear output, at the beginning, a very well-defined output, especially if it's like a numerical, like like if you're writing utils or something like that, you can do test-driven. That's fine. If that's what floats your boat, go ahead. Um, I think that's good, but I think doing test-driven 
uh, on on a more macro level, I think you're going to run into issues. I think it's it's beneficial when you want to ensure uh, like immutability or uh, you know throughput or whatever. But if you are <laughs> if you are testing like just tons of things, like if you're testing methods and and uh, uh, what is it uh, like state management type stuff. I think you're you're gonna have some issues. Like I wouldn't fuck with state management at all on new, uh, you know, projects. Now, when you are getting maybe to the end, you can do stuff like that. But I don't even know about that. Uh, and 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 generally, most new development is you kind of lead it out with like a spike or a, a series of spikes, and then you kind of you know, just kind of hit the ground running after that. But the most important thing is not to stop. <laughs> and that's something that I see all the time is this, you know, this slowdown that people go through where they will work on something. And then when it gets a little hard, gets a little bit difficult then they stop or they change course or they, they take the easy way out and they don't really do a whole lot, you know, <laughs> And I, I say this, uh, what was it? There was one time and this, this will probably go down as like the worst, one of the worst performing teams I've ever been on. And, and I say that as like, I've, I, I cared a lot about the people on the team. I still do. I think they're great people. I think a lot of them have a bright future. Uh, so it was, it was a, a lot of different things going on, but so it's not anybody's, you know, it's not completely on anybody, but there was a conscious decision by several engineers on this team to do something. And it was <laughs> the moment it happened was when I knew this was not the team for me long-term, but it was something that I, I noted consciously and I needed to kind of realize that this just took place. And so I want to break this down and, and I'm not going to get too specific, you know, in case anybody listens to it that knows about it, but you know, we'll keep everything vague or whatever, but, (laughs) but just, it is just one of those things that I hope that if anybody re or anybody hears this and they are going through something similar, avoid this. If you, and especially if you're the one doing this, just know that there's somebody like me that sees this, okay? And and it doesn't. Somebody doesn't need to walk up to you and tell you, "Hey, I see what you're doing," you know. Like 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 the so nobody's gonna act like your parent and walk up to you and be like, "Ha, bad boy, bad girl, don't do that. Put that down. Take that out of your mouth." You know, like that's ridiculous, okay? <laughs> but this is what happened. So I was working on something and. I was trying to kind of give some of the engineers on my team some breathing room to kind of play with stuff. Okay. Because I wasn't being, I wasn't given, given that, uh, bandwidth on the team. Okay. So what I did, (laughs) and maybe this isn't a great pattern, so don't do as I do on on this, (laughs) but I gave kind of the answer to somebody as far as like, they were working on some stuff and, and I always do this where at the time I was helping out a lot on a lot of the different, you know, stories, whatever that we were working on. 
So almost every engineer, I was touching their code or something. You know, I had like a fork on their fork or something like that. And, you know, but it, but there was a lot of stuff going on and everybody's, you know, trying their hardest. But the thing was, is we had all these important stories to do. And we had kind of like some would be nice stories, I guess. I, I didn't really want to do any of them. They didn't seem exciting to me. And because they were, they were, they were kind of like, uh, let's just go look at code and write down our thoughts and our feelings on that code. It was ridiculous stories, but whatever. Uh, I get it. Like maybe, you know, uh, inexperienced engineers, you, you want to tinker, you want to learn. Uh, this isn't even tinkering though. That's just reading code and writing down your thoughts on it or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah. So whatever the, <laughs> and, and it's not that I don't think those are important to do. I just think that it's implied. Like you need to spend the time. Like if you're not comfortable in a code base, that's your job. Figure that shit out. Like, you know, spend the time that you need to figure it out or talk to the people you need to talk to, to figure it out. Like that's, it's ridiculous that you would write a story for that, but whatever you know, or, or 10 stories or how many stories there were was for this. But this was, this is what got to me. So when I'm, I'm leaving, I'm going on PTO. Okay. And I, I barely ever take PTO, but I'm taking PTO part of the P well, I'm not giving the reason for PTO, but whatever I'm taking PTO for whatever reason. <laughs> okay. And I think it was like a week or two weeks. Yeah. It was two weeks of PTO, two weeks. Okay. That's a long time in development time. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a full sprint. I mean, there's a lot of shit in a sprint. Okay. So, <laughs> so nothing that I'm working on, um, should be there when I come back. Like my whole backlog should be gone right from that sprint. Like that's the, that's the assumption anyways. Okay. So I'm leaving and I give a story to somebody and it's a, it's a, it's a thing. I'm not going to go into detail about it. Uh, I'm not even going to say what it was about. Okay. I'm just going to say that it was a somewhat business critical time sensitive story that needed to be done and published. Okay. We don't need to talk about what it was, but I gave this engineer the assignment to do it. And then I also gave him the code that was unpublished. I hadn't pushed it to any repos or anything like that. And I said, I think I'm like 90 something percent sure that this is the fix for it. Uh, uh, you can test it. You can spend time on it. You can do whatever you want. Um, but I'm pretty sure this fixes the issue. You can, you know, obviously I want you to verify cause I don't have time to verify right now. So verify, but then you can, you know, choose when you want to do whatever, you know what I mean? Like you can take your time, do whatever you, you know what I mean? Like, like, you get a little bit of uh, freedom that way. So, <laughs> and that's super shady. I know, you know, whatever, but I felt like I had to kind of like fight for all of my team's time and give them, you know, extra bandwidth to execute and, and, and maybe, you know, do some creative stuff, you know, because there wasn't a lot of that happening on that team. So, uh, I don't know. I tried a ton of different things. This is one of them. It may have been an anti-pattern. I don't know. It's not good to to keep things from the rest of the team and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I definitely think it's more of an anti-pattern. But 
whatever. I did it. I don't regret it. Um, so <laughs> the thing was though, is that, and that's just a little tiny thing, like a little side note thing on what I'm talking about. The real thing that I'm talking about is that I leave this engineering team. Okay. Go on leave and I come back in two weeks. Okay. And what happens when I get back blows my mind. And it was just, yeah. Anyways, I'll get right to it. I come back. The same stories that I left that were on the backlog are still there. I won't, I won't even say backlog, okay? Because they, the way it worked is we had kind of like the, the actual backlog and then you had like your sprint backlog, which is like basically all of your, your stories that you've chosen to do for that sprint. Okay. Which is everybody knows what, I mean, anybody who's dealt with agile or scrum or anything is going to be familiar with this, but you have a set of tasks that you've essentially promised the business or the team that you are going to do as a team. Okay. That you will complete that sprint. Okay. So even if you're off a little bit, you're probably going to get half of it done. You know, if you're, if you're pretty good at sprint planning, you're going to get at least half, if not more. I mean, I'm sure there's some scrum masters out there that are going to flip out if you're only getting half your stories done for a sprint. <laughs> you might be getting in trouble if you do that. You should be getting like more like 80, 90% of the stories done. If anything, on a really good team, you should be getting right at probably 80 to 90% done because then you're not overestimating, you're not really underestimating, you're still challenging. You don't really want to be at 100%, because if you're at 100%, then maybe people are just doing just enough to get the whole backlog cleaned out, and then really they're probably underperforming. So I think 80% is a good number. You know, you want to have a few stories they didn't get. That's just my opinion. But anyways, <laughs> so back to what happens, I come back from leave, and the stories are still there. Now I will clarify that again, there were stories that were completed. Okay. But the stories that were completed were those stupid fucking stories about the do nothing stories that I just talked about earlier, where you were looking at code and talking about your feelings and where you thought it went and what it did and you know, how it did it and all this shit instead of taking the time to figure out what it did yourself, you know, or, or write real documentation and not bullshit like this, but whatever we can debate whether that was super important or not. The point was, is that those frilly stories, the do nothing stories got done or half of them. I don't even think all of them got done. That was the hilarious part. So like half of the do nothing stories got done. And of course the PO and the BA were, you know, a little bit inexperienced as far as some of this development work. So they didn't really understand the jargon. And so I think the the team had slipped these by them, okay? Which kind of made me feel a little bit shitty because I, I did that sometimes, but I never did it to that extent where I basically wasted a sprint and didn't really push any new development. <laughs> and so then it just, it was like this gut-wrenching hit when you realize that you're surrounded by these lazy people and they just chose to just not do any meaningful work for that sprint. And the only person that was going to know was me because the BA and the PO, they don't know what the fuck's going on with the stories or whatever. Um, I'm sure if that, you know, if that had kept going on or whatever, uh, 
after the BA and the PO had had more experience with like, you know, that, that framework and the code standards and stuff like that, they would be more up on the jargon and they would be a little bit more hip to knowing if the engineers are kind of, uh, you know, inflating some of these stories or whatever, or suggesting stories that don't matter or whatever. But regardless of that, um, it was like they, it was almost like the, the ultimate slap in the face uh, that they would think that I would come back and look the other way, you know? And that's the thing that it was like, it bit me in the ass because I had kind of, you know, like I had done all these little anti-pattern things that I thought was helping move things faster and help the team. But in reality, it, it was just chipping away at, the standards, I think, and kind of accountability. And and I think that could be it, but I don't know. I don't know for sure. Maybe they're just lazy people in general or, or underperformers. Who knows? Uh, but it was clearly a conscious decision as a group that they made to do nothing while I was gone. And, I mean, at that on that team, I, I pushed probably 80% of the code anyways on that team. So I, don't, I didn't really – I didn't really expect a lot from them, but – it did. It hurt me because I had all these plans. I I was trying to mentor a lot of these people in code standards and stuff, and and it really, it was yeah, it was one of those things. Well, anyways, I get off on that tangent, but my point with that is that when you are working on, you know, greenfield stuff or whatever, you you have to move fast, and you have to make sure that when you're planning out your sprints or you're planning out you know, your, your, your milestones or, or your objectives or whatever, the, whatever metrics you're using or standards or patterns to, to, to execute on your work that you take into account breaking things, failure, and priority importance of tasks. And when you're doing new stuff, you have to still have room for stories that may appear as do nothing stories or, uh, or, or, not so much do nothings, but more of uh, what is it? Uh, kind of like tinkering, where it's like, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe you're working on, you know, uh, you're working on some kind of app that has to do with drawing, and you have a story or a spike. Somebody's doing like a two day spike where they want to play around with uh, the, uh, you know, the device APIs for sensors and and the camera and see if they can come up with some cool like AR thing or something. And they're tinkering with AR kit or something. Uh, I'm using an obscure example, but, (laughs) but, but what I'm meaning with that is you need to have those stories. You don't need a lot of them, but you should probably have like five to 10% of your, your work should be things that almost have nothing to do with your final product. And I know that that might sound extreme, but it's important. Okay. Because you don't know what you don't know. And what I mean by that is you can't expect that when you start on your project today, and even if it's Greenfield and you have a great plan, great strategy, and it's a four month and it's a six month and it's a 12 month project or whatever. uh, When you get to the end or close to the end, the landscape, the industry, the market, the tools, Everything is going to be changed in six months, in three months, in two months, in one week. 
everything's going to change. The patterns that people use are going to change. So you have to evolve as you go. You still want to have an overarching, you know, pattern that you want to go with, but you need to be a little bit more fluid with things. And so you have to be really fast at throwing things out. Okay. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into things and said, okay, well, this is, this is how I do routing and this is how I do state management and this is how I do this. And in the first couple days, I'll be like, oh, well, this doesn't play well with this. And the other thing too, is that you don't want to compromise on versioning. If you can help it, you want to start with the newest versions of everything. If you can help it, newest stable versions. Uh, but if you have a conflict on versioning and let's say you have a dependency that I've had this happen so many times where you have a dependency that you need, uh, and then you have another dependency that you're using to solve a problem that you don't necessarily have to have that dependency. You're using it to kind of augment, uh, development time. So you're doing it instead of making it yourself. And there's a, uh, there's an overhead to, uh, keeping the version, uh, what do you call it? To make sure it doesn't have breaking changes with the required dependency. That's the one you probably want to throw out. If it bogs down your time, throw it out. Like if you're writing a patch every other week for this dependency, that's, you know, a legacy dependency, maybe it doesn't have a, a super big community or something like that. Uh, go ahead and just build that feature out yourself or compare the time it's going to take you to do it and then pitch it and do it and put it in a spike or something like that. But you don't want to do that with a bunch of things, but it's maybe you put that on a list where you're like, okay, we're going to go ahead and keep it in there. And then when we get to the end of this MVP, POC, whatever, then we're going to, that's going to be the first thing on our chopping block. And we're going to go ahead and build that out ourselves and rip it out. Um, and that, and that's a pretty common thing. So, so I think that's, that's just from my experience, you have to move fast, and I mean so fast. You have to be, you have to be thinking about this, the user journey, the user experience, as you're building it. And then, as soon as you get that one story, that one flow, that one user journey, whatever, or part of it done, you have to immediately think about what is going to intersect with that inner with that user journey. Okay, how do what I mean by that is maybe. Maybe we're talking about authentication, okay? And we have a user signing in with their email and their password and blah, blah, blah. You have to also think, okay, well, I have that set up. I have my registration set up. Uh, I also have social networks set up uh, to sign in with Twitter or Google or whatever. Uh, but I also need to think about what if they're signing in with their phone number? What if they're not signing in at all? What if we just send them a code and we need to launch or we need, we need them to be able to uh, scan a QR code or tap something or whatever uh, and be authenticated. That should affect how you handle authentication because maybe traditionally you're expecting your authentication response to have a token and an email. And maybe you don't always get an email. Uh, and so maybe you need to, uh, you know, what do you call it? Prepare for that. Um, that's such a basic thing, but it is, it is a thing you have to consciously think about. And you know, then, and, and that's, it might seem basic, but I feel like that's a thing I've run into so many times where it's, you have one pattern, but it's not, or, 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 uh, what is it? The object shape or whatever. 
uh, is perceived to be one way and the standard will be that way. And then you'll have one outlier eventually. So you have to kind of go into it, you know, do that one user journey, make sure they can log in, make sure they can do Google, whatever. But then as soon as that's done, immediately think, don't, don't execute yet, but think, okay, after this POC is done, I know we're adding a phone number, login or whatever. Um, and if that's the case, can I still handle it with this? Does it work out of the box? Is there a big barrier? What would be the roadmap for that? Is it a breaking issue? And if it's a breaking issue, you have to pivot and revisit what you just executed on. If it's not a breaking issue, you're good to go. Okay. So you want to think about it, obviously, as you're doing it, before you're doing it and everything else, but you really have to do kind of a retro at the end of your execution. Okay. So yeah. And I hope that makes sense. Cause it's like, you can kind of think about everything as you're doing it. Like you can touch on the major things you think about, but sometimes you'll just spin your wheels. That's why I try not to do that. And I know it, it might sound counterproductive, but in some way it's so much faster when you just spend a little bit of time thinking about it and then you put it out of your mind and then you only think about the user journey you're building once you think, okay, there's not going to be any breaking issues if I do it this way. You do it that way and then at the end you say, okay, now I know this is, here's some other user journeys that are going to intersect or here's some features that are going to intersect with this. Are any of those going to break this potentially? And then you're going to have to weigh, okay, I just executed on this. I have another thing that hasn't been developed yet. Haven't spent any code time on it. Can I do this other new thing in a different way that won't break that? Or do I have to go back and undo that and change the pattern that I just developed so that it doesn't break that? So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how well that describes that. But my my whole point with this was that the number one thing is just speed. Okay. And it's speed of execution, but it's also speed of decision-making. You have to be decisive. You have to be willing to throw out work. Okay. You can't get attached to, I just spent 10 hours on that. I spent 20 hours on that. You can't get attached to that. You can't even get down about anything. <laughs> you know, you can't be like, Oh man, this doesn't work or whatever. You have to be excited about it. You have to be, I mean, I, when I'm working on Greenfield, I, I am driven from one error screen to the next. <laughs> I'm, I'm driven from breaking something completely to fixing it and then getting to the next problem and then finding out, okay, so I can't do that pattern. Let me do a different pattern. Oh, well, it doesn't like that. Let me do this. And, and that's how you have to be. You have to go fast. And I say that as somebody who's gone fast, gone slow, gone medium, gone whatever. <laughs> I've tried all kinds of different patterns, uh, especially on, you know, new development type projects. And I can, I can say that at least for me, it is so enjoyable and, and not stressful. It's relaxing, whatever you want to call it. When I approach things that way, where you just keep going, there's no, there's no, oh, you know, this didn't work out, whatever. Like I just said, you just keep going, keep moving one foot in front of the other. And then you lean on your reports and lean on their advice, lean on their direction. Let them direct you to where you're going. Don't try to direct yourself. You can, you know, you can try a little bit and you can, you know, it's good to be a little bit organized 
you know, in as far as yourself and your own directives. But you really want to lean on your reports, your higher ups, whoever, to make those decisions because that's not your job, really. You know, you're you're not. It's not really your job to worry too much about the business goals or anything like that. So let them, uh, you know, hear you out, hear your advice, but let them make that call and say, you know what, there's not really a business need for that feature. Let's not do that, you know, or, or, you know what, let's do this other thing. Or you can, you can do a spike and play around with it and show me what you got. If you want, uh, spend a day on it, but don't spend longer than that. Um, and you'll see that with like a lot of really good manager type people where they will give you a little bit of freedom and a compromise where they'll kind of be like, okay, I'll give you this, but then you got to do this for me, you know, or they'll just say, you know, do whatever you want, you know, one day, two days, whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it has to be short bursts, but, but I think that is the, the biggest thing that if I could tell anybody, just don't get discouraged, don't get sidetracked, don't, don't get down about whatever it is that you just broke or you messed up or whatever. And I will, (laughs) I will talk about this other, this is a little bit, this wasn't Greenfield so much. I mean, yeah, this is, this is Brownfield all over. Um, but, (laughs) but I had this, uh, this, this project that I was doing and, um, uh, I don't, um, yeah, I can't say what it was for, but it was, it was a large sports franchise, you know, everybody watches it or whatever. And anyways, there was this event that they do every year for this sports franchise. And, uh, they, I guess they, they pick players and they pay them money or something to play professionally or whatever. And, uh, so anyways, they, they call it a draft. So they have this day and this was the 2000. I don't know. I'm not going to talk about the date, but anyways, there was like tens or hundreds of thousands of people or whatever signed up for this event and it's televised and everything else. It's a very public event. And so I had helped with the app a little bit, but I was supposed to send out the notifications, uh, for the actual event. Like I guess the notification saying, Hey, the app is available or, or your invitation is ready or I don't know. I don't know what the message was. I just knew that I was, you know, executing an SQL command or whatever, and it was going to send the stuff out. Um, but (laughs) there's, I'm looking at it. I don't even know what I was using. It was some web-based editor. Uh, but I'm basically connected to the production server and the staging server. Okay. Or development server, whatever we called it. And so if you're on the wrong tab, because I would always have like eight tabs open, you know, like like an idiot. And so sometimes if you're not paying attention, you could be on the wrong tab and you're touching dev or you're touching staging. And, and I say that in kind of a relaxed way. I don't remember ever you know, making any major mistakes in not knowing which tab I was on. But I also didn't spend a lot of time in there. So it wasn't my favorite place. You know, SQL doesn't really excite me. But uh, I was tasked with sending this stuff out. So I had to execute this command at an exact time on an exact day. Uh, Don't ask me why we didn't just automate this, but whatever. Um, So I... (laughs) I was copying and pasting the command 
and I was going to put it in the tab so that as soon as the time, as soon as it was time to do it, which was like, I think the next day or the day after, like it was like two or three days away. Okay. I think it was like a Thursday and I wasn't supposed to do it until like a Sunday or something. So it was not the day to do it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a week before, but it was like half a week before. Like it was like, if you sent it out that day, people would notice, Hey, this is, this is not right. It's not, it's not going on right now. So <laughs> I'm copying and pasting this, this command and I'm putting it in, uh, in the tab that I need it for. And then I'm going to just leave it there. And then when I open the, the, the MacBook bag open, uh, the day of, I can just press enter or whatever, and it'll be ready to go. But when I copied and pasted it in there, it ran the command. <laughs> and I don't know if it was like just the way that the system was set up was like, as soon as you paste or something, I don't know what it was, or maybe I did a line ind indentation or something or a line break. I don't know what it was, but it executed, but I didn't see it execute, uh, or I wasn't paying attention because I was, I had like 50 different monitors going on. I don't know what I was doing. Uh, and then I get pinged on Slack and, uh, or, or some chat app, you know, I don't know, you know, some, some non-specific chat app or whatever. I don't know. Um, and, and it's the head of QA or something. And he's like, did you just, email 50,000 people on production. It's <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know what the number was. It, it might've been like 10,000. I think it was like 10,000. I don't know. I, I think they had like a batch limit where they would do 10,000 at a time. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, that was the probably that's up there. I mean, I've, I've panicked before, but that, that is up there in like my top five where I'm like, I just, I just fucked up. Like I just, I straight up just fucked up and, and I was freaking out and everything. And I, I figured out it was actually the development server. Uh, but the funny thing was, is that when he pinged me, I was on the production tab and not on the development tab. And so then I had this moment you know, which, where I have like, cause I all, I always lock my car door like twice and stuff. I always try to do things like it's not super OCD, but I try because I don't want to be 15 minutes later thinking, did I, did I not lock that or something? And so as soon as he said that, and I'm looking, I open up the screen and that screen has the production tab open and I'm like, Oh my God, did I, I, I think I, I think I just did production. How did I, why did I do that? Like, how did that happen? And then, then of course I found out uh, a little while later that it was just development, but it was still a big deal because it was still <laughs> a lot of people on the development server. Uh, so yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a, a thing. But, but my point with that though, was that, um, what was it? Uh, it happened. And then immediately I had like three or four people in the, in the team, the org, whatever, uh, you know, tell me, Hey, you know, Hey, uh, you know, just kind of brush it off. Like, like it wasn't, everybody knew that I had messed up. Okay. And nobody said, Hey, don't worry about it, no biggie or whatever. They, it was more of, you know, kind of don't worry about it, but it was, it was more of, we're not, um, you know, we're not opposed to you breaking things or making mistakes. Uh, now I'm sure if I did something that cost them like a ton of money or something like that, 
like blasted SMS messages out or something like that, then that, that would probably be a whole different conversation. <laughs> but my point is that I broke something. I was allowed to break it and move on. And there was no, there was no pause between. And I immediately, I'm back at work. I'm working on whatever project I'm working on five minutes later. It's not this whole thing. We are all laughing about it next time we go for drinks or whatever. But the point is that speed was allowed to, to, to be involved in that environment. And, and I say that even though that was probably not really the fastest team I've been on, it, it wasn't necessarily the slowest. It was just kind of like a mediocre speed team. But my point with that though, was that the encouragement behind the team I think is important. So if you are doing a greenfield project or even a brownfield project and somebody on your team uh, is running into a problem, hopefully not the same scale as what I'm talking about. But if somebody's not able to execute on something and you're run, they're running into a problem, uh, don't jump on them. Don't give them a hard time. Uh, but also don't not communicate with them. The worst thing you can do is just not say anything. It's better to be like, Oh yeah, there's always issues with that. Or, you know, Oh, I've been there myself or, you know, that, that one dependency, you know, there's, there's lots of issues about it. You know, let me know if you, want me to take a look or help out or whatever, or, 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 or don't even ask, just be like, Hey, you know, uh, can I, can I take a look? Um, and, and that's, that's kind of, it's kind of like a shared, uh, what is it? Uh, a shared, uh, task so much, but not so much. It's more of like, you know, it's kind of a team effort, but it's not, you're, you're still giving them all the ownership. You're not taking ownership of their task, but it's important that you are encouraging them to keep moving forward and you can do it in many different ways. So don't, don't get too you know bogged down with my specific examples. It's just important to let them know that you like, you're their fan, you know, like you, they're on your team for a reason and you know, they can do it. You believe in them. So that doesn't mean that people can make mistakes and that nobody gets uh, in trouble or anything like that or, or gets gets talked to or anything like that because the, the one of the, the biggest things, you don't want it to keep happening, okay, something like that. But sometimes there's like a, a type of breakage that you do want to keep happening because it's a good thing. So it just depends. There's a mistake and then there's breaking things. Which is very different. Okay. So mistake is like me copying and pasting and sending out all these emails. That's a mistake. It's also breaking something, but it's a mistake driven breakage. And then there's new development driven breakage, which is you're bringing in the dependencies of different versions and the versions don't match up and you're having issues with compatibility and stuff like that. And you're having to throw it out and create your own feature. That is a good breakage knowing that ahead of time that there's going to be an intersect later on is important. So you have to kind of gauge which scenario you're in and what type of breaking issues you're having. So yeah. And, and, and if you're on a team and you're working together on this greenfield project, uh, everybody involved, you want to make sure that if they break something, you move past it and you push them past it as well. Uh, and, and not like in an overly supportive way. It's just like you have to expect them to be able to handle it and move on. 
if you expect it from them and you look at them as the type of person that can take that and move forward, if not even faster, then most likely that will happen because people more than, more than the perception of what you have of them. So, so if you perceive somebody, and this is an important psychology thing I just learned about, uh, in some, some recent study where people actually try to be not what they, not what you perceive them to be. So if you perceive somebody to be a low performer, they won't necessarily reflect that unless you've also communicated that perception. So if you've communicated that you've like, like not necessarily telling them, but if your body language, your, the way that you talk to them, the way that you interact with them, if everything is telling them that you respect them and you see them as a high performer, even if in your mind you're thinking like this guy, I don't know if he can cut it. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of bad at his job. Uh, but if you're giving off every opportunity and you're treating them as if they are your equal or they're a high performer or whatever, they actually rise to that. Psychology wise, people actually try to be the perception of what they perceive your perception to be. Okay. That's that's so ridiculous, but it is, it is the, it is what they perceive your perception to be is what they try to be. Okay. So think about that for a second. It's their perception of your perception of them. That is what they consciously and more unconsciously become. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. It's kind of like if you, if you had a room full of people that work together every single day and everybody tells this one guy that he's, he's dumb or he's bad or he, he's not good at his job or whatever. And they discourage him. He's going to suffer. And over time, he'll actually think that that's the reality, you know, and, and that's completely different where that same guy could go to a new team and everybody tells them, Oh, you're so smart. You're so great. Blah, 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 all this stuff. He will rise to the occasion. So remember that the perception that you're giving out to other people is how they're going to live up. So if you treat them like they're dumb and they made a mistake and they screwed up, then they're going to be like, Oh, I'm just a screw up. But if you look at them like, ah, whatever, it's a mistake. You have so much more value to give us, give it to us. Go ahead and do that. You know, don't get hung up on this one thing. Hurry up and do, do the great stuff you're going to do. And I think that's important to, to think about. Um, but yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm getting off on tangents at this point. So I got to go, but, uh, Hope everybody's having a good week, being productive, and I'll talk to you later.